This week's episode of the Casey Crew Podcast is brought to you by Butter Skin, a new line of skincare that's formulated specifically for melanin-rich skin tones. It's a simple three-step kit that features a gentle cleanser, a vitamin C serum that helps to reduce the appearance of dark spots and hyperpigmentation. This stuff is magic in a bottle for our skin and organic shea butter sourced directly from Ghana. I love the glow that it gives my skin. Butter is giving a 20% discount to our listeners on their complete skincare kit when you use code Casey at checkout. So go to butterskin.com to get the glowing skin you've always wanted. That's B-U-T-T-A-H-S-K-I-N.com and use code Casey at checkout to get 15% off. What up, y'all? It's DJ MV. And I am Kia Casey. And it's another edition of the Casey Crew. Welcome. Hello, 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 beautiful people. So we are taping in our crib today, and I'm just letting you know, so if you see a munchkin or two run by, I'm sorry. If one of our teens come down to get some food, I'm sorry. If the door opens up and you hear the alarm chime, I'm sorry. If Chuck Norris runs in here, the dog. Run. Just, yeah, pretty much <laughs> run. Yeah, pretty much. And let me shout out to our sponsor, MNS Insurance. Shout out to Ashley. Uh, if you need homeowners insurance, bike insurance, renters insurance, car insurance, quad insurance. Uh, All the insurances. It. Yeah, if you got a big bum and you need some butt insurance, you could probably do that as well. What? Just weird. Jennifer Lopez did that though. Yeah, that's why I said it. Okay. Or if you got a long schlong like me and you need... Come on, stop right, it. Sorry. Penile insurance. Yeah, see, <laughs> mine is already insured. But anyway... Um, By who? Hmm? Not me. Ooh. It's insured against you. It's insured against you. Yeah. It needs insurance. <laughs> but uh, shout out to Ashley and M&S Insurance. We appreciate you guys for sponsoring our podcast. And if you want more information on how you can possibly get some quotes, just look at the Instagram page, which is right here. Okay. All right. Now, our last podcast, we taped it before everything that was going on with George Floyd. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Uh, we didn't get a chance to mention it. And uh, it was sitting very heavy on our hearts. So we just wanted to talk about it um, and not only express and talk about how we feel and talk about what's going on in the world, but for a lot of you guys that have kids and are parents, you know, that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with our kids sometimes. So we just want to talk about some of that. So let's start from the beginning. About two weeks ago, I was on Instagram and I seen a video that my son had posted um, and shout to my son. So I'm watching the video um, and, you know, I see an officer kneeling on uh, a gentleman's neck, George Floyd. And I'm so used to these videos now, right? So I'm waiting for something to happen. You know, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. I'm thinking maybe somebody's going to push him off. Uh, maybe it might be something funny. I had no idea. So I'm sitting there watching a video and it's a long ass video. I'm sitting there like, wow, this is a long time. And he's still, and then you hear George Floyd saying, I can't breathe. Saying I'm in pain. Uh, calling out for his mom. And you hear individuals in the street Saying, yo, he's, he can't breathe. He's not resisting. Get off of him. Uh, you hear another officer pushing people away. And then you look at the video and then you see George Floyd's life just come right out of him. Right? And, and 
I don't know what the devil looks like. But if I had to say I seen the devil, that was that cop kneeling on him. Because as they were telling him, you're killing the brother. As they were telling him, there's blood coming out his nose. His nose. As they were telling him he's not resisting, he's not moving. It's almost like that officer had got a hard on by looking at those people like, I can do what I want to do. What you going to do? And at that point, I'm, I'm looking at it. And, and to me, it was the devil. It's, it's an image that I'll never get out of my face. I don't care if I walk in a crowd of, of 20, 30, 40, 50,000 people. If I see him, I'll know exactly who it is. So I seen that video and I sat with it for a second because I felt fucked up. I felt bad. Not only for George Floyd, his family. And at the time, I didn't know much about George Floyd. I didn't know if he had a daughter or a son. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know anything about him. But I just felt bad for our people. And when I say our people, I mean our black people. I felt bad for my son. I felt bad for my daughter. I felt bad because I, I was sitting there like... I, I can't protect them. And I'm sitting there watching the video. It's almost like you, you want to reach your hand through the camera and push the cop off. You want to just run and, and push the cop off. And then I went upstairs and, you know, I think Gia was looking at marble or paint or furniture or some shit. That she always does. And I said, hey, babe, I want you to watch this video. And that's a normal routine for, for, for us. Every time I see a, a, a video on Instagram, social media, I always run upstairs and show it. Show it like, you're stupid. Get out of here. Whatever it is. Like, for instance, the video, you're going to lose your job. Gia was in the middle of something. I made her stop to watch that video. That's just what, what we do. So she's watching the video. And at first, I wasn't sure if I wanted to show it to her because I know, I know what that would do. In our home, in our house. But I showed her the video. And watching it, I only watched it twice. Actually once and a half. I couldn't even watch it that, that, that second time with her. And she's watching it. And she and I, and I can see her, you know, she's starting to sit up and perch up while she's watching. And she's watching. And she's watching and she just looks at me and says, I can't believe it. And she lays down in, in her back. She has this pain in her back and a, a pain in her stomach. And she's tearing. And I just could not believe that that officer took his life, took George Floyd's life. And not only could I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that those other officers were around, watched. I couldn't believe that even after he was not response, not responding and, and even after he wasn't resisting, that the officer still kept his knee on that man's neck. Now, let me, let me ask you, what, what was your feeling when you seen that video? Let's explain to the people what you took out of it when you saw it. For me, <clears throat> it was like 
we've all heard that term, you make me sick, or something happened and it made me sick. And for me, my whole life, it was just a term, something that you throw out of your mouth, something that you just say when you don't like something a lot. I was never actually able to relate to that saying until I saw that video. When I saw that video, it literally made me sick, sick to my stomach. I've never experienced that before. I've, I've never, never felt that before. I've never seen something that made me physically ill. And like you said, it was a long video and I never expected it to end that way. But it got to a point where I think everybody that saw it realized that this man is not going to remove his knee from this other man's neck because he was in that position so complacently without a worry in the world. He had his hand in his pocket. It was nonchalant and cavalier. And you could tell that it's almost as though his ego was driving him mm -hmm. to remain. Like you said, no matter what anybody that was watching said, he was not going to move until. And that's what I felt when I was watching it. I'm like, when is this going to end? What is the until? What is he fading, face, um, waiting for? This man is not resisting. He's not struggling. All he's doing is begging for his life, begging for the ability to breathe. What's the until? The officer clearly wasn't in fear for his life or his safety. Mm -hmm. What's the until? The until was George Floyd was dead. Mm -hmm. That's what he was waiting for. He was not going to move until that man was dead. That's what he was waiting for. And that's exactly how it played out. When he passed away, that is when he got up. Anybody who questions whether that was murder or not, I don't know how you can. He had eight minutes and 46 seconds to understand what the outcome of his actions were going to be. There's no misunderstanding there. He murdered him. Mm -hmm. That was done deliberately. It was murder, flat yeah. out. So for me, to witness the slow, painful, excruciating murder of another human being, I've never felt like that in my life. Mm -hmm. I have never ever, ever felt that way in my life. It did something to me. It changed me.
it changed me. I've always been a supporter of Black Lives Matter, but this was like the exclamation point at the end of that statement because it was someone's suffering played out right in front of all of our eyes. And like you said, it's as though the life escaped from him moment by moment and we all witnessed it and we all hurt and we all felt the same way. You talked about that pain in my back. Um, that's only happened to me three times in my life up until that day. The first time was when the alarm went off in our house in the middle of the night mm -hmm. and you were away. This was maybe um, 16 years ago. It mm -hmm. wasn't in this house, it was in our prior house. You were away, the alarm went off. I jumped out of bed in the middle of the night. I ran and I got the babies, I grabbed a knife and I ran out of the house half naked with the kids. And I stood there on the sidewalk and I looked back at the house just to see if I saw any shadows moving or anything like that. And in that moment, I felt a pain run down my back that I'd never, I never felt before. It was something new. The second time was when we lived in this house. The same thing. The alarm went off in the middle of the night. At that point, I grabbed our firearm. I ran and I got the kids. I hid them because I figured the person came in on the first floor. I had enough time to do that. And I stood there in the doorway and I waited. In that moment, I felt the pain. The third time was when we actually walked in on a burglar, burglarizing our house. Jumped back in the car, what well, was a Sprinter van. We got back from vacation. And when I got the kids and everybody's safe in the van, they were about to pull off. I felt that pain run down my back. And it, it's just, it's a strange pain. It's a dull pain. It's not, you know, a typical back pain. It's very specific. And the fourth time was when I watched that video. It's as though it, it caused me severe anxiety. And I think that that anxiety came from the fact that I'm sitting there watching it, like all of you, I'm sure. You're watching this man clinging to life. You see someone else in control of that man's life. You mm -hmm. see a man playing judge and jury, toying with him. It's like he's a puppeteer and there's nothing that you can do while you're watching. There's nothing you can do, nothing, but sit there and watch. You can't help. You can't push that man off of him. You can't hold George Floyd's hand. You, you can't do anything. You can't yell. You can't shout. If you do, no one will hear you. It's like you're watching it and you're helpless. And that was painful to watch. It was. And that was painful to watch. So I felt it physically and I felt it in my heart and <clears throat> it was devastating. 
when you heard him cry out for his mother? How else could you feel? He's a grown man. And in that moment, he went back to his roots and cried out for the only person that we innately look to to help us. He needed help. And those other three men that were there, nobody cared. No. Nobody cared. They all witnessed the same thing that we witnessed, and nobody there did anything to help a dying man on the street. Yeah. And then when the ambulance came, it's funny, it's like I haven't heard anybody talk about this. But everybody must have seen it. The ambulance came, the paramedic came, checked his pulse, clearly realized that there was none. And what did they do? Nothing. They treated him like roadkill, halfway dragged him and lumped him onto the stretcher, and no one tried to resuscitate him. No one tried to resuscitate him. Now, I'm not a nurse. I don't know much about that. It's true. But what I do know is that if you drag a child out of a pool who might have been drowning, they may be non-responsive. Mm -hmm. What's the first thing that a parent or a nurse or a paramedic would do in that situation? Give them CPR. Absolutely. You try to bring them back to life. It's possible. Happens all the time. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, just another dead bleep. Load them up in the ambulance. Right. Process them, put them through. Nobody cared. And that hurt. Yeah, and what, what hurt even more was that week the Breakfast Club was on vacation. I was, I was still on. And I got a chance to talk with uh, his, his uh, family's attorney, Attorney Benjamin Crump, and uh, one of his closest friends, Stephen Jackson, that used to play in the NBA. And the first question was like, you know, I heard him screaming out for his mom, you know, how was his mom feeling? How was his mom doing? It's like his mom's not here. His mom passed away. So it was almost, it felt like it was like, I don't know whether it's a, a call for mom, I'm coming. Or if it was, because they said it was the anniversary of his mom's death. Which, it, that which week. Even, yeah, which even hurt even more. You know, I couldn't believe that. And I've dealt with all type of racism. Me being who I am and where I'm from. And it's sad that even though you work hard to get out of certain things, people will always look at you by the color of your skin. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter how hard I work, how much I do, how much I try to provide. If I told you, and I'm sure a lot of you out there understand and know how many times we've been profiled, we've been pulled over, we've been searched, we've been, uh, you know, something happens, they grab you first. It happens all the time, but this was something different. So my daughter, who is going to college next year, uh, they are having a a protest, protest all across the country. They was having a, a local protest. My daughter wanted to go. And of course, I, I'm dad, I'm, I'm there with it. Whatever you want to do, boo, I'm there. 
So we went to the protest. Uh, maybe about five to seven hundred people there. And these were kids that put on these protests. Teens put on this protest. Very proud of them. You know, they were protesting and marching. So they all assembled on the police station law. We look over right before it's about to start, and I seen four or five uh, hillbillies. That's what I'll call them. And they had this huge Trump sign, Trump flag, huge. And it irked me. It irked me because the kids weren't there for anything political. This wasn't a Biden protest. This wasn't an anti-Trump protest. This was a, a protest to, to stop police brutality. And basically to show a community that we're all in this fight together. The police did the right thing. They didn't allow the, the, the flag and the Trump supporters to come on, to come in that grass. I don't know how they did it. Because, I mean, you have freedom of speech. So we marched and then we walked back. And then uh, the, the, the woman that was leading the, the protest was like, let's all get on our knees for eight minutes and 46 seconds and honor George Floyd. Moment of silence. So as we did that, there comes another hillbilly dressed up to the T with fatigues and boots and he had a, a scarf up to his eyes, covering his face, hat low. He didn't want nobody to see who he was. And he was playing audio from his phone. He had a Bluetooth speaker. And the audio that he was playing is... A lot of the people that were killed by police, by the police, police brutality, he made an audio of saying their police record, which means nothing, right? It might have said, like, DJ Envy, 2002, robbery. DJ Envy, 2007, marijuana charge. Gia Casey, 2008, assault. But he was saying it for everybody that was murdered by the hands of the police. I'm sitting there like this is this is a team's rally. And, and what what is somebody's history has to do with what happened in an air and why they were killed? The fact that they were unjustly slain in the middle of the street. What does that have to do? Nothing with at all. Anything. Nothing at all. And that's it's just said, a distraction. And, that's all that it is. And, 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 it's and, just and to a antagonize those kids. And that's when I realized. Being a protester is a lot more difficult than we see. You know, we see the walking, the marching, the rain, the tear gas, the rubber bullets, all extremely difficult. But even more difficult is when you walk up to an anti-protester and they're screaming in your face and you're trying to do what's right. And he's antagonizing you because the first thing I, I did was I jumped up and I said, and I picked up my phone. And I was like, take your, take your mask off, pussy. Because that's how I felt. You want to say it, be a man. Show everybody your face. Show everybody who you are in town. huh? Show everybody who you are in town, whether you work in town, you live in town. Show everybody what you do in town. But he was a coward and didn't. Not just had a mask covering his face because of corona. No, he damn near had his hat down to here and the mask up to here where you couldn't see nothing. You couldn't even see his eyebrows because he was a coward. And then I looked at Madison, I looked at everybody around, and I said, that's what he wants. So I calmed down a little bit. And he's walking around playing this, this audio. 
And at that moment, you just wanted to drag his ass, right? Just wanted to drag his ass. Just but, imagine. But he knows that's what he, that's what he wanted you to do. A sea of people on their knees observing an eight minute and 40 second, 46 second silence. And he's walking around with a loudspeaker playing disrespectful audio regarding the people that were unjustly killed by Absolutely. police. Absolutely. At that moment, let Imagine me tell you, that. at that moment, I almost said, you know what? It's worth the lawsuit. That's how it feels. Because I wanted to say, you know what? Let me drop the leash and let Chuck Norris get busy. Chuck Norris hasn't had dog training in a while. Let, let him get busy just one good time. Let him throw that guy all over the place. Just one good time. Just one good bite. Let him bite, the, let him bite that, that hillbilly right in the balls. Just one good time. Let him chop his meat off one time. Let, him, let, him, let, him, let, let, let Chuck Norris jump on his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. You know, it's crazy. Now, um, with everything that's happening in our country and across the world, Imagine being a racist or a white supremacist or um, someone that truly feels that their race and their history is better than everyone else's. Mm -hmm. And you witness people starting to unite, people starting to come together. You witness the race that you've been demeaning for hundreds of years, starting to understand their own power, mm -hmm. their, their own strength. Wouldn't you feel threatened? Wouldn't you feel threatened if you feel as though the world is on the precipice of change? Yeah. And I think that's what's happening. I think that, and with, and with good right. Racists are starting to feel threatened as though positions might start to change and tables might start to turn because now there's a more general understanding of Black Lives Matter. Right. But it, and, ha but it has to be to the extreme. And I, I'm going to tell you when I say to the extreme, right? What, what's the thing called a swastika? Mm -hmm. You post that on a wall automatically a hate crime and you're going to jail for a long time. Let's say you punch, you smack, you kick, you hit a Jewish person, right? Nine times out of 10, hate crime, you're fucking going to jail immediately. Mm -hmm. With us, you don't get that as much. Well, I don't think it's any secret that there hasn't been much respect for the black race in our country and I assume around the world, different parts. Absolutely around the world. At all. Mm -hmm. There has not been much respect. And it's sad and it's so great that people are starting to talk about it now. It started with us being brought here mm -hmm. against our will hundreds of years ago. And since then, it's true. It's been systematic and by design where black people have not been given the ability 
to achieve true equality. Correct. And because we started out at a deficit, because we were brought here against our will, the oppression has led to injustice in education, injustice in healthcare, the list goes on, which disables us from being able to achieve the same things that the white race is able to achieve. Absolutely. And now that there's a chance for change, you see people coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. And you know, you said that the man came with a Trump sign. Correct. And Trump flag. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as though that Trump flag and being a supporter of Trump is synonymous with racism. Mm -hmm. Because why would he show up to a peaceful protest of people that look like him? Majority of the people that were there were white people. Absolutely. Why would you show up with a Trump flag? Because it speaks for himself. Now, we're not Trump supporters. And this isn't about politics, but I'll tell you what I do believe. I do believe that when Trump took office, it was as though people that were racist and silent were almost given permission to be loud. Absolutely. About their racism. And at that time, you started to see overt acts of racism around the country mm -hmm. because I believe that a lot of races felt as though Trump was their backbone. Correct. So him showing up with that kind of gave support to that idea of mine. That's how I took it. Mm -hmm. And he's been so divisive with this entire situation at hand in this country. You know, um, before people started speaking on it, we spoke on it privately. And I told you that I thought that it was so strange that even if he doesn't truly believe it, even if he doesn't really feel that way in his heart and his soul, you would think that the fact that people are looking to him to be a leader, just in and of that point, that would compel him to do what he's supposed to do, even though it's not what he wants to do. Absolutely. You would think that he would get up and lead and say what the hell he's supposed to say. Black lives matter. Right. And our judicial system, our law enforcement system, the systems that run in our homes are not right. They're unjust and it's costing people lives. We need a change in America. You would expect him to give a speech like that, to say something. But no, what does he do? He adds fuel to the fire and he almost pushes forth the negativity. Mm-hmm. It's like he supports the negativity. Oh, we're going to call the National Guard. We have to dominate. What about saying things that will speak to people's hearts? Absolutely. What about leading? And he didn't. And nobody can deny that. He did not. And that's what 
my citizens yearned for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, I would say this, though. I, I would say I love seeing people coming together. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more of that. And not just my people. Because I, lo- I love to see my people coming together. Because a lot of times we don't. But in the last couple of weeks, I've been seeing protests and us coming together, us helping each other, us making sure that we good. And that's what we need more of. You know, if we see something, we have to make sure we stand for our brothers and sisters. What's beautiful is the realization of our strength. Mm -hmm. I think that we've spent so many years feeling oppressed that it's hard to imagine what's possible when we all come together. Absolutely. It, it almost seemed realistic. You know, if anyone ever had the notion to do so, you would think to yourself, like, how, how do we overcome years of being put down, held down, kept down? How do you, how do you overcome that? When the people in charge don't look like us, you know, we felt a beacon of hope when Obama was president. Um, But nothing like this happened. And I think the reason why what's happening now is happening in part, because there are different parts to it, but in part is because everyone got to witness what happened to that man. A lot of times when things happen, it doesn't matter what. When someone comes and tells you a story, it's secondhand information. You didn't witness it firsthand for yourself. So as you're being told, and once it's over, you sit back in your private thoughts, and you might pick the, pick the story apart and say, okay, well, what part of that is true? What part of that is not? What part of that's an exaggeration? Okay, this is what happened. Was it provoked? Was there a reason? Was there a misunderstanding? What, what am I not being told? What really happened? So sometimes you might take someone's story and just say, "Hmm, okay, maybe it happened that way, but maybe it didn't. I don't know. wasn't there. I don't have an opinion. Mm -hmm. But in this case, no misunderstandings. Everyone saw for themselves very clear. And everybody hurt. Everybody hurt. So now... As a result, you have people unifying because of the same human common denominator. And that's really what it is. It's a common denominator that's rippling through the world right now. And if people haven't suffered racism themselves, they've witnessed it or they've experienced it in their own homes. You know, people... I don't know if people give much uh, thought or credit to the fact that if you do have racist tendencies or are a full-blown racist and you have children in your home, some people may teach their children racist ways, Mm -hmm. but even if you're not overtly teaching children your ways of thinking, they can sense it from you. It can be when you're watching the news It could be when you're watching a television show. It can be when something goes on in the neighborhood and they hear your reactions. 
They hear the words that you use. They hear the disrespect. They come up in that type of household and then it breeds inside of them. It's like a tree. It grows, it grows branches, it gets older, it grows rings. And now you have a human being that is just a tangent of what you've taught them. Right. They go out into the world. They may spew it or just their existence and existing in that energy, existing in that space. It bleeds into society and it grows. And then they have children and they do the same thing. And it's a cycle. Yeah. It's a cycle. Mm -hmm. And it's something that now I have hope because of what's happening across the world that in some ways that cycle might break. Those chains might break. And I'm hoping it seems as though it's going to be the case. I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm hoping that this is a time of enlightenment, of mass understanding, because like the term Black Lives Matter, so many people respond with all lives matter. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of those people know exactly what it means, but they have a shield they say all lives matter. I think a larger part of the all lives matter people are ignorant. I think that they don't truly understand what it means because it's obvious that all lives matter. But even though that, even though that's obvious, that's not what has played out in reality. Black people have been treated as though their lives do not matter. So when we say black lives matter, it's black lives matter too. Mm -hmm. Your lives have always mattered. Us, not so much. So it's us highlighting that our lives do in fact matter. So it is offensive when someone responds by saying, well, all lives matter because it makes you feel like saying, no, duh. Like, mm -hmm. you don't have to state the obvious. We're stating what should be obvious, but hasn't been. Absolutely. You know, I, one thing that I love is I love seeing how people come together, right? And we have to remember and keep doing that. Meaning if you see something that's not right, you just can't let it go. You gotta help. Perfect example. And that's just not for, for my people, my black people, for white people too. The, the, one of the dopest signs I seen at the protest was it was like white silence is violence. And I love that. The other day, Guy and I pull up in a gas station and uh, there was a Spanish girl, a black girl. I'm not sure who she was, but she looked in bad shape. She looked dirty. Um, her clothes looked rough. So when I pulled up, the cops were surrounding her. So I walked in the gas station and I asked the gas station attendant, yo, what, what happened? Now the gas station attendant, I love him. He kept it. He kept it. I like what he said. He was like, yo, they said that she just stole from Dunkin Donuts. And they asked me if she took something from here. He said she did. She took some, she did take something to drink. 
But I didn't tell the police that. I told the police, nah, she paid for it. He said, because I could tell that she was hungry. So I walked outside and I said, hey, if there was, I said, um, I said, whatever it was that she took, I paid for it. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for three of them. And cop looked at me. And while I was talking to two cops, one of the cops went inside. And I remember his name too. His last name was Cummings. Last name was Cummings. Cop walked inside and he did exactly what I did. White cop paid for her meal. Paid for a meal. Not because he heard you Not say Not because it. he heard me say He was already on his way in there to do it. And I was, I was outside trying to figure out what was happening. I don't know this girl. It's not my family. But that's what we have to do more of. We have to have empathy, right? This girl was hungry. To recession. They just announced it's a recession. It's a pandemic. She's fucking hungry. She probably has nothing. It wasn't like she was stealing a Gucci bag or a Gucci belt or some Jordan shoes. She took food to eat. They wanted a water because she was probably that thirsty. You know, the cops didn't arrest her. They paid for her meal. And I was like, that's what we need more of. We have to be empathetic for people. We got to make sure that we look out for one another. We got to make sure that we take care of each other. We got to make sure when we see something fucked up, we got to make sure. Another instance, the other, I, I don't know if you remember when they we were in the car and there was a couple of uh, black kids in the car and they were getting into an argument with a white guy. I don't know if you remember. It was right down the road, right by where the old uh, stopping shop was. And me and you were in the car and I followed them and I pulled over with them just to make sure that they were good because these were teens. They weren't adults. They were teens. Maybe Logan's age, Madison's age. And whatever it was, they got into an incident with a grown ass man. And I'm like, nah. Because now when I start looking at these teens, I start looking at them, I start looking at them like my kids. That could be Logan out there. And I hope and I pray to God if one day if Logan's in trouble, that one of y'all see him and be like, nah, that's I'm I'm holding that boy down. What's up? Because that's what we need to do. We need to make sure our youth and our kids are okay. We got to protect our youth and our kids. That's what we have to do as people. And not just black people, white people, Asian people. It doesn't matter. We have to stand up and say what's right. You know, I look at all these protests and I see how strong we are in numbers. How strong we are when it comes to things. Them throwing tear gas, them shooting rubber bullets, anti-protesters, all that shit going on. And we're still stronger. We're strong in numbers. And we got to remain like that. And, and to the police officers, the good cops out there, I commend you. But you got to stand up and say. You, you, have to, some, you have to police the bad ones. Right. If you see some fuck shit, you got to say it. Yo, that's some fuck shit. Now, the four cops that killed George Floyd, one had his knee on the neck. The other was his partner. The other two cops, they said, were rookies, were only on the job for like four days. And I know it was difficult for them because they probably seen that was wrong. But they probably looked at it like, he was my training officer. I've been only on the job for four days. Like, who am I to say who something? Who am I to say what's wrong? 
But that's when you got to take that out of your system because you know the difference between right, right and wrong. At the end of the day, you're a human. It doesn't so matter you that, know that training. Because, but, you know but what's I, right but, and but wrong. I do get what went through your head. Probably, damn, I can't go against my training officer. But you know it was wrong. You know that was wrong. Because in one of the... In, in one of the when, it, when they had the description of, of what happened, they said one of the officers was like, yo, don't you think we should turn him on his side? And then the other cop allegedly was like, no, nah, he's fine right here. So you knew it was wrong, but you just didn't have the balls to be like, nah, this is wrong. And I get it because we've all been in that situation. But when, it's, when it comes to somebody's life, your job as a police officer is to protect and to serve. And you didn't serve or protect that. Doesn't say that jump that that young man, but you didn't protect. I'll say his name, George Floyd. You did not protect and serve George Floyd. So now the conversation is, with everybody's asking me because we have a whole gang of kids. At what age do we have these conversations? You know, I've had this conversation with Logan at an early age. Madison, I've had it with an early age because they've been around me so much. They've been with me when it's been like that. You know, I told you the story the other day when me and Madison was in BJ's and we're going grocery shopping. And, you know, we're, we're checking out. Now that Madison's 18, I have a chauffeur. She drives me. And there's two, two white people in front of us. They got a, a, a shopping cart full of groceries. You know, when you go there, they search it, check your receipt. They don't really check it. They just swipe down and keep it moving. So the first one, they swipe, check it. Second one, swipe, check it. Gets to us. Looks at me and Madison. Pulls the receipt. Now he's looking for specific items. Right? He's looking for that orange juice. Uh, he picks one out. I'm going to find that orange juice and see if you paid for it. Now, maybe it's just me, but I, like... I run things through my head. Like, I, I'm, I tell everybody I'm a thespian at heart, right? So I'm thinking, oh, I see orange juice, nigga. I want to see if you paid for that orange juice, nigga. That's fucked up. And I didn't say anything because this happens a lot. And I'm very sensitive. But very you know emotional. who did? Madison. Madison said to the lady, oh, it's great being black, huh? We, we paid for this. And she walks off. And it made me so proud. I just wish she would have said a fuck you or not. I'm just joking. But... It made me so proud. She gets it and she's proud to be black. Yes, I'm black and I'm paying for my shit. And if somebody is having a problem, I'll pay for their shit too. But these are the things we have to make sure our kids know and understand. You know, I have a black boy that's about to start driving. He's 16 years old. Makes me nervous as shit. I'm so happy this pandemic is here because... He wasn't able to get his license because he can't do the driving school shit. Why does it make me nervous? Yeah, I have a black daughter. But, but I she's see, not looked at as a threat. She's not looked at as a threat. My black boy is. And, so, that's, and that's a crazy way to be raised. Absolutely. It's a crazy way to grow up. It's a crazy way to parent where you have to have special discussions with your black boys to tell them that if you get pulled over, you have to take different steps. You have to be able to behave differently than mm -hmm. a white teenager is afforded the ability to behave. You cannot take the same actions. You cannot say the mm -hmm. same things 
You have to make sure that you are not looked at as a threat because you do not want to be murdered in these streets. And we've had to have those conversations with Logan. Right. If a police officer approaches your window, put both of your hands on the wheel, lower the window. Hello, officer. How can I help you? If you have to reach into your glove compartment, I'm reaching into my glove compartment to get my registration and my insurance. I have no weapons in the car. You have to articulate everything to make sure that their racism and their fear does not get you dead. 10 times worse. Madison, 18 year old, beautiful woman, right? She drives any one of my cars. I don't care. I'm not that parent. You can't drive my car. No. I work hard, I bought it, I want my family to enjoy it. I don't care. Like that's who I am as a person. That's, I don't care. I'm, I, I want my family to enjoy it. I want my friends to enjoy my shit. The other day I let my friend, he wanted to bring his uh, Mother's Day, he wanted to drive to his house for Mother's Day, his mom's house and have a nice car. So I let him. My son, he can't drive none of those vehicles. He can't drive any of my nice cars because I don't trust it. When I was a kid and I drove my dad's car and I got pulled over, my dad would damn he, my dad couldn't sleep when I would leave the house. And back then it was bad, but to me, it seems like it's a lot worse. My son doesn't have those. He, he can't. Why? Because I know what this environment is. And Gia just said, when he gets pulled over, put your hands in the wheel, roll down the windows. Yes, roll down all your fucking windows. To the point where I have a, a, a dashboard camera myself that whenever he gets a car, that will be installed in his car for his protection. What's the first thing I tell him? And this is what you should tell all your kids out there. One, and I'm sorry if you're a police officer and you listen, but this is what my dad taught me, who's a retired cop. One, the police Listen's officers not are not friends. your friends. They're not your friends. If they're asking you questions, they're not asking you questions because necessarily they care. They ask you questions because they want to be able to use it later on. So my dad would always say, shut the fuck up. Two, when you get pulled over, my dad would say, call me. And that's the same thing I tell my son. You call me or you call your mother immediately. Or you call your grandfather. Make sure somebody else is on that line that can hear. Three, like mom said, license, registration, insurance, when you drive in that middle cup holder, not in the glove box, not in, what's that middle thing? The middle console. box, the console. No, right there. So if you get a, if a cop pulls you over, boom, right on the dash, both hands on the steering wheel. You don't have wheel. to reach for anything. Four, don't talk back. Right? I remember this story. I got pulled over in the city. I was making a left turn. Car in front of me went, white lady, let her go, stop me. I seen her stop me and I knew they were going to stop me. You know when you get that feeling, you see the cop, like, oh, I know they're going to pull me over. Seatbelt on, you know, I don't have no air fresheners, nothing around my license place that's going to be like, oh, pull, nothing. So when you pull me over, you better pull me over for a reason because everything is crystal clear. Outside of one car, everything is fishbowl. There is no tent. You can see everything. Everything, no fishbowl, nothing. You can see, right? Pulls me over, right? I got my dad on the line. Hey, what's up, officer? Is there a problem? License and registration. Not nice. 
License and registration. Why are you pulling me over? License and registration. Why are you pulling me over? So he gets louder. License and registration. So I, I get louder. Now, mind you, I was 10 times worse when police pulled me over because I didn't do anything wrong. Right? I started screaming at him. What did you pull me over for? And we going back and forth. Right? And I got disrespectful. He got disrespectful. Right? Something to the, the thing, what you never seen a black person with some money. No, I'm not a drug dealer. No, I'm not a crack dealer. No, I'm not doing scams. This is mine. I don't have to tell you shit. So I'm arguing with him, right? So my dad is yelling. I can hear him through the speakerphone. Rashawn, just give him your fucking license. Yelling through the, through the speakerphone. So I give him, I give him the license. Right? And I'm so pissed off. I'm steaming. I'm sweating. God bless you, baby. Thank you. People are walking by. They notice me. I'm pissed the fuck off. All right? And now I'm, I'm barking, right? Because I'm, I'm pissed. He comes back, throws the license in the car. Doesn't even give it to me. Throws it in the passenger seat car. So I'm still... Why, I want to know why the fuck you pulled me over. Couldn't even answer. Go ahead. Just, just go. Just go. No, I'm asking a fucking question. So my dad's screaming, just go. So I leave. My dad says, let me explain something to you. My dad's pissed off, right? How long ago was that? This was... Eight years ago? It was six, seven years ago. I remember. My dad's pissed off, right? Like, my dad is, like I said, a retired cop, but he's a, he's an asshole, right? Strictly asshole. Am I lying? <laughs> what? Asshole. Don't, you don't fuck don't around with him. Don't get me in trouble. You don't fuck around with his family. He's an asshole. He's an asshole to me. He's an asshole to the kids. If, if he needs to be loving grandpa, but he don't take no shit. So he was like, yo, just do me a fucking favor. And I'm like, what's up? He says, you can't. You got to understand one thing, son. And I'm like, what's up, pop? He said, you cannot beat the police in the street. I don't care how tough you are. I don't care how many push-ups you do. I don't care how much weight you bench press. You cannot beat the police in the streets. He says, your number one goal is to make it home. When you get home, then you can fight the police. Then you can get a lawyer and do everything you need to do. But if you don't make it home, you can't fight. And when he told me that, that changed my perspective on everything. Because he was you've right. been talking greasy for years. I talk greasy like a motherfucker. To the point where cops tried to fight me like crazy. Like crazy. I have stories for days. I might write a book just on the, the cop stories I have. Like crazy. But anyway. And it all made sense. And it made sense because I, I was thinking to myself like he's right. Cop could pull out a gun and shoot me and say oh he reached for something. A cop could say whatever they want. It's your word against theirs. My word against his. And whose word they gonna believe in the court of law? The cops. And when he said that, it made sense and it changed my perspective on everything. Just because you make it home doesn't mean you're a coward. Just because you make it home doesn't mean you're a sucker. It means you're smart. Because we talk about all this, right? But now we also talk about the wealth that our community and that we have to start making sure we have. And you say, well, why do you mention wealth? Because we have to make sure that we can, if there is a problem, that we really prosecute these officers and everybody to the full extent. If that means getting the best lawyer in any town, getting the best lawyer. If that means making sure, because a lot of times we get abused and we don't follow through. Right. One more story than then. 
Me and Angela Yee, of course, we work for the Breakfast Club. And there's this one cop that pulled her over and pulled me over. Disrespectful. On different days. On different days. Now, he pulled me over for improper seatbelt. Improper. Mm-hmm. Improper? Improper? Improper seatbelt. Mm-hmm. You probably thinking, what the hell is an improper seatbelt? That's what I said. So. It means, for those of you that don't know, you have it on. But you ha- instead of having it strapped across your chest, you have it under your arm. Correct. Correct. Had it under my arm. Improper seatbelt. So when he pulls me over, I'm like, what did I do wrong? Got my seatbelt on. He was like, improper seatbelt. I'm like, is that even a charge or a fine? Come to find out it is a fine. Not only is it a fine, it goes on your license. So now I'm thinking to myself, officer. Right. I get pulled over. I tell you, my dad's retired. I'm on my job. Most of the times, if you're polite, I'm, I'm, I'm polite at first until somebody's not polite with me. He gives me this ticket. Nasty and aggressive being an asshole, not just very nasty and like being a dickhead. Cool. Angela Yee does the same thing to Angela Yee, gives her a ticket for something else. Says she made a left, uh, didn't make a complete stop at a stop sign. Very aggressive and nasty. The difference is Angela Yee took him to, made a complaint. They went to the complaint board. There was a mediator. She sat there with the officer and went back and forth. Right? How did it end up? Nobody knows. But it's on his record. Okay. Right? The what complaint. Is that? Huh? The complaint. The complaint. Mm-hmm. But just think about it like this. If he did that to me and did that to you, didn't even know we, were, we even know each other. How many people have he done that? has he done that to? But like me, I'm like, ah, fuck it. Keep it moving. I'll pay the fine and whatever it is. Let me ask you a question really quickly. Um, What was it about it that made you feel as though he pulled you over because of race and that he pulled ye over because of race? Is it because it was improper seatbelt? Is it because... You're thinking like you just wanted to pull me over because who gets pulled over for an improper seatbelt? Clearly, I have it on. Um, honestly, because I th- if I'm watching this and you mentioned Angela Yee, if she didn't come to a complete stop and made a left, then like I might have gotten pulled over for that before. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Um, but what was it? Was it something about the way he approached you, the way he spoke to you? Why did you feel that that was the reason? Well, for instance, I've been pulled over a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when you get pulled over, an office comes up to you. Hey, how you doing? Um, license I'm pulling you over because uh, you were speeding. I'm pulling you over because you didn't correct. come to a complete stop. License or registration, You didn't please. signal before you changed. Right. right. There's a proper way to talk to people. And there's a, a, there's, there's a way not to talk to people. It's like when you go to a restaurant. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to so-and-so. Um, here's a menu. I'll be with you in a second. And then on another hand, you might have the no tip for you, waitress. Or somebody says, here's a menu. And walk off. Not a greeting. Not, it's a way you talk to people. Mm-hmm. Right? And officers, we pay their... Salaries. Salaries. Mm-hmm. So when you talk to me disrespectfully and... You talk For down no to me, mm-hmm. you have an attitude and you're aggressive. You just have the, and that's kind of what I'm getting at, you know, um, like what I was saying earlier, uh, when someone tells you a story and you're taking their account of it and then, then you dissect it and you ask yourself questions and you're wondering if there's any, um, things that can be left up to interpretation in the story, you know, 
sometimes things are what they are because of the energy that you feel. And you know, it's like the word bitch. Like, what up, bitch? How you doing? What's up? What's up, girl? How you doing, bitch? Mm-hmm. Or it's, you know what, you're, you're a dirty little bitch. Mm-hmm. The way that things are said, the energy that's exchanged in a situation can tell a lot. And it's as though you knew what his energy was and where he was coming from because of the way he approached you, the way he spoke to you. You knew that you were being condescended upon, right? It's, 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 it's exactly that. It's, it, and, that's, and that's the whole thing with people to understand. If you break the law speeding or something like that, they still don't have the ability to talk to you anyway. At the end of the day, we're men and we're women, right? Absolutely. We're men and we're women. And the reason I said I brought up the Angela Yee thing is because she made a complaint. And she said when he made a complaint, he had six complaints already, right? I didn't make a complaint. Because I was like, I ain't got time. I'm not driving back to the city for that. And I'm sure there's zillions of people that have. We have to start making complaints because that's the only way something we could be like, this officer had 32 complaints. There's not that much coincidence in the world. Absolutely. A- absolutely. So a superior can look at that and be like, all right, now we have a problem. Once, maybe, twice a coincidence. Three times, now I'm looking at you funny. But there's, but there's been times like, I, I know I got pulled over one time for speeding, right? Officer pulls me over. I was speeding. Mm-hmm. I was totally in the wrong. Mm-hmm. Pulled me over. Hey, how you doing, man? Nice car. You know you were speeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, officer. Right? I, I was speeding. My bad. When you talk to him, the first thing he said, well, why were you speeding? I said, you want, to, want me to be honest? He goes, yeah. I go, those guys were trying to take pictures of my car. They were getting too close to my car. So I kind of wanted to leave them so they wouldn't be taking any more pictures of my car. Mm-hmm. He said, I did see that. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, that's the reason why. He said, you know what? I get it. Just do me a favor. Slow down. We don't want you to hurt anybody or even hurt them. You know what? Just be safe out there. He didn't know who I was. I just told him the truth. He let me go. Mm-hmm. Honestly, he didn't come with me. At the end no- of the day, there's a way to, to deal to people, with right. people. Right. And you should treat everyone with respect all the time unless you're disrespected. Absolutely. And then everything changes. But now it's as though people presumably like that, are coming out of the woodwork. Now, you know, with all of the footage that we have the ability now to see on our social media feeds, you would think that after George Floyd was murdered, that officers would be on their P's and Q's and they'd be on high alert and watch what they do. Right. But when you watch these videos, police officers out there acting almost, because clearly it's not unimaginable, but almost unimaginably. I mean, that one police officer that went up to that man, pulled his mask down and sprayed pepper spray in his face. Yeah. Another video of cops, a group of cops walking down the street, a group of peaceful people walking down the street, and they held up two of them, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, one first followed by the second, held up a pepper spray can and just sprayed it into the air. And then someone that was in a window witnessed it and was hollering for them to stop and berating them for doing that. And I guess he was low enough. The cop sprayed pepper spray up in the air and it caught him and he starts coughing while he's recording. I mean, tear gas cans being shot into crowds that 
are laced with peaceful people. That's, you know, I don't understand that. How can you, how can that be legal? Because you may have but somebody that might be acting unruly amongst a group of peaceful protesters. But to deter one or two people, you shoot a can into a crowd. How crazy There was a sound. woman that got hit in the eye and her eye swole up like a softball. Her other eye was bruised as well. I'm not sure how. There was another young man who lost his eye because he was shot by a rubber bullet. I heard that he was behaving peacefully as well. There are so many innocent people that are getting hurt by the police during peaceful protests. About police brutality. About police brutality. And it's as though these officers, they don't realize that they're being recorded or they do and they don't care. It's like they've been operating with this sense of untouchability for so long that they're out there. I mean, how can you not know that you're being recorded? Like, there's phones everywhere in these situations. Even if people are taking selfies or just, you know, wanting to be down, they're there because they want to be down. They want to post on their social media. There's recording going on constantly. And the things that you see, like, it's like this, um, this monster almost is coming out of people and they are showing their asses for the world yeah. to see. And now I think that there are so many people that are sitting back watching all of this unfold. And it's like, wow, this is what's really going on. And I think maybe for the first time in a long time, um, on a large scale, I'm not, I'm not saying that people of other races aren't treated unjustly by the police as well at times, but now you have so many white people that are protesting and being treated unjustly mm -hmm. as well. So now I think that people are sitting back and looking and saying, wow, this is, this is a real problem. Yeah, this absolutely. is a, this is a real, like that because when it's not you, when it's not your family, when it's not your people, it's, this isn't good, but in a way it's understandable that you're just not able to relate because mm -hmm. your mind doesn't take you there. You have no real reason to entertain what it feels like. Like most white men have never entertained the idea, I'm sure, of what it feels like to wake up black every day and have to fear for your life, mm -hmm. fear being pulled over and how that may go. Just like the woman that made that um, false claim against that black man in um, Central Park. You know, that could have gone all the way wrong if he hadn't left. You know, you can go out bird watching like he did. You can be a Harvard grad like he was and be educated, be civil, be nice and be a bird watcher and worry about whether you're going to make it home while you are out enjoying your hobby. But there are so many men out there that they've never really had to think about what it feels like to wake up black and have to worry for your life or your safety or being pulled over. So now I think that a spotlight is being shined mm -hmm. on the injustice and people are starting to wake up. Absolutely. Which leads me to my question. If you're a parent out there, at what age do you speak to your kids about what's going on? What age do you speak to your kids about 
the brutality of of black people at what age do you talk do you have that uncomfortable conversation well i think that no matter what your race is you raise your children to be proud of who they are and i think that you start having those difficult conversations with them as soon as they're old enough to be affected by it what age is that i mean we have a six-year-old and seven-year-old well i think that you teach about racism and um, ignorance at an early age. Um, for instance, you said we have a six and seven year old. When Logan was 10, Logan went to a pool party at one of the homes of his friends and something happened. I don't know what happened. It doesn't matter. There might've been some type of disagreement or whatever. And there were two white boys there who said to Logan, the sun shines on us because we are white and it does not shine on you because you are black. Mm -hmm. And then there were other racial epithets that were thrown. The mother of the boy whose party it was called me immediately and told me what happened and she was mortified. And I left and went and picked Logan up asked him what happened and he told me about it. And I said, well, how do you feel? And he said, I mean, I feel okay. I said, but these were your friends. You, you feel okay that they insulted you the way that they did and for the reason that they insulted you? And he said, they apologized. I said, they apologized because they were made to apologize. Yes, Miss so-and-so said that they had to apologize to me and they apologized. I said, so you forgive them? He said, yeah, I forgive them. I said, mm-hmm, okay. Then later on that evening, the mother of one of the boys called me and she was beside herself about what her son had done. But it really begged the question, like what I was talking about earlier, where did this 10-year-old learn this? Absolutely. Parents. Um, Parents or friends. Where did he learn it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he didn't learn it from television, you know? He didn't learn, you know, it wasn't instilled in him. You know, even if he, he saw something on television, it wasn't instilled in him where he would repeat it in a fit of anger. These are little things that you pick up. So Logan at 10 was affected by it and we had to have that conversation with him then. Logan, this is the reason why that happened. Mm -hmm. This is how these words, ended up in those boys' mouths. I'm sure they didn't even know what they meant because right. that statement didn't even make any sense. Right. But they were trying to hurt you because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. Well, why is that a big deal? Why does anybody care? Then I have to explain to him why people care right. and how he's looked at and how he is different than the vast majority of the kids that are around him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's the key. And, you know, one... <laughs> One thing I love about Logan, and that I think I know what you're gonna say. Maybe what? no, you go ahead. Is that, and I wasn't like this, and I'm gonna make Jackson do the same. Is he's he's made it so that he works out. He's strong. Oh, that's not what I thought you were gonna I, say. I know, I know, but it comforts me because. I know he's not going to get pushed around. I know he's not going to get bullied around. 
Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. No, but, but, but that's how I feel. And the reason I feel that way is because he's not one of those kids that are going to allow you to disrespect him. And he will back it up with not just his muscle, but with his brain. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I admire about that boy. I thought you were going to say that he's so unaffected. Like Logan, when he told me he forgave those boys, I could, I was so shocked. Because again, it, it didn't just end with those statements. There were more statements. But I think that was early. I think that was at 10. No, but, but he's not that same kid at 16. But he's definitely not that same kid at 16. If, if one of those kids said that to him at 16, they would have a problem. No, I know that. But Logan, um, like they would, he would be basically what I'm saying is that Logan is tough. Yeah. I thought that that's what you were, you were getting. Oh, he's even worse now. Like he's, he's tough. Like someone isn't going to come and Mm -mm. say something to him. It hurt his feelings. He's going to man up and handle it. Maybe because I hurt his feelings every day. Maybe that's the reason why and I'm tough on him every day, but I just love the fact that he's not going to let anybody bully him around mentally, physically, mm-hmm. or try to outsmart him. He's smart, he's strong, and and he knows his shit. And the other day, I tried to arm wrestle him, and the little, <laughs> little motherfucker almost beat me, which put me in the gym twice a day now, because I'm like, I, he can't beat me, because if you, he beats me, I, I'm, I'm- You know I'm, what? I know you probably wanted to end it here, but there's one other thing I wanted to talk about um, before we wrap up. The other day we were discussing what's going on in the world and you mentioned something about acceptance and one of our pitfalls in this world as black people is from a young age, for some reason, having the feeling that we want to be accepted by white people. It's a thing where You almost feel, some people, almost feel as though they have to prove themselves to be enough or prove themselves to be better. And I think that that's a feeling that people struggle with Mm -hmm. from being little, even in school. You know, you might be one of three or four kids in in a class with other white kids and you feel as though maybe you have to overcompensate for the difference, the fact that they're privileged and you're not. So you have to prove that you're better or show that you're better. Um, I just think it's important to really, really teach kids in the home pride, Mm -hmm. pride. I think that that notion, and you're not taught that notion. I guess you just live this life and you feel the inequality. You feel the difference between being privileged and unprivileged. And you react to it in different ways. Absolutely. And I think that that notion, that whole idea has to be dismantled. And now is the time to do it. Parents have to have conversations with their kids and let them know you are amazing. You are beautiful. You are enough. Mm -hmm. You are equal. Absolutely. No matter how and who tries to put you down. Doesn't matter what happens. You have to love your skin. You have to love your hair. You have to love your history. And you can't be afraid to talk about it. Slavery was real. It happened. Things have unraveled since then that have put black people at a disadvantage in this country. This is where we are. And this is what you have to do now. These things have to be 
taught. They have to be spoken about. We can't just go out there and live and expect our kids to get out there and fend for themselves. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I mean, you got to tell, tell our kids that they have to be proud of who they are, where they came from and all that. Um, and have those conversations, those uncomfortable conversations with your kids at an early age. Uh, let them know what's going on in this world. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to make it seem like everything is hunky-dory because that one time your kid is out with his or her friends and they're trying to figure out why they're pointed out and they don't understand and they're confused and they're lost and they're hurt. They need to know from an early age what's going on. My parents taught me at an early age and my kids know from an early age. And because of that, I think it's made them stronger. Um, again, we would just like to say uh, rest in peace and condolences to George Floyd and his family and everybody else that was killed from police brutality. It's very serious. And hopefully we see a change in this world. You know, be the change that you want to see. And we'll see you guys next time. All right. I'm DJ Envy. And I am Gia Casey. And that was another edition of the KC Crew. Toodles.